0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Mark, chapter 13, verses 24-37, through with Pastor John King. Yeah, no more live stream. Uh, I could make a joke about it, but I won't do that. We've had a good time. Like Heidi said, we've been forced, you know, we're like a lot of small churches who were forced to get an online presence in a very rapid amount of time. And you know, a little bit more on that, it it does put a toll on our volunteers, Uh, you know, at a small church like this, we're always looking for help and volunteers, so um, we're going to retain the capability to do live stream, uh, to do the Facebook live, Uh, we're going to keep all the equipment that was donated to us, and we'll probably still do it on occasion, I think, Uh, I don't know if she mentioned that we'll do it on, uh, on special occasions, Christmas shows, stuff like that, so with all that, again, Happy Independence Day. What a day, man. What a, what a great country we live in. Hey, that's right. Amen. Amen. Happy Fourth of July. Yes. Well, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. We'll be starting in verse 24 and go all the way to verse 37. So while you're turning there to Mark chapter 13, verse 24, let's take a real quick look at what happened last week. Jesus gave us a picture of how the final three and a half years of the tribulation would be marked by the appearance of the Antichrist. Jesus refers to him as the abomination of desolation. And he'll be standing where it ought not, meaning he'll be standing in the temple. This is when the Antichrist will reveal his true colors, And he'll arrive at the rebuilt temple where they've rebuilt the temple and they've started up the sacrifices. They've resumed all of that. They signed a treaty. But now he's going to change the terms of the treaty. In fact, he's going to wipe out the treaty altogether. And he's going to say, you know what? I was just kidding about you guys, you Jews, having the ability to do what you want to do. Actually, I want you to worship me. And I want the entire world to worship me. That's what this guy's going to do, this Antichrist. They call him the son of perdition. And he's going to force the Jews to stop their sacrifices and demand that they now worship him. And then Jesus said, look, if you're living in Jerusalem at that time, and keep in mind these are future times when you and I will not be here, but these are future times right there in the middle of what we call the tribulation. And he says, for those living in Jerusalem and Judea during this time, you need to flee to the mountains. As soon as you find out that this has happened... Uh, It's a sign for you. You need to get out of there and get out of there as fast as you can. There's no time to waste because the days are going to get so bad if they hadn't gotten bad enough already. A lot of great, a lot of disasters and, and, and wars and rumors of wars, all kinds of stuff going on. And it's even going to get it worse. It's going to get so bad and so quickly that God himself will have to shorten the days of the tribulation. Now, we highlighted last week some of the specific details found in the book of Revelation uh, between chapters 6 and 18. Because if you look at the book of Revelation, that is where the great tribulation happens. And those are where all the details are. Unprecedented natural, natural disasters, loss of human life, demonic activity, and evil deception not seen, Jesus says, since the beginning of creation which God created until this time Nor ever shall be, meaning there's going to be an end to this. Well, today we we actually do. We come to the very end of that great tribulation and this spectacular second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that tonight, all over America, except I think in Elizabeth City, uh, people will be gathering for their annual Fourth of July fireworks. People are going to be looking. They're going to spend. you, You may be one of them. You may be going to a Fourth of July uh, display, and you're gonna spend a lot of time looking up, at least for the half hour or forty five minutes. And you're gonna see these wonderful things and the ooh and on ah, and the kids are gonna love it. But there's coming a display in the sky like no other. No other. Because then the seven-year tribulation will follow. Uh, It says, after the time, one writer put it this way, he says, after the time of epic judgments and salvation, the Lord will return to this earth with his raptured and glorified saints, along with the angels, to destroy his enemies and establish his promised kingdom. Let's let's read about that in his word right now. In chapter uh, 13, verse 24, it says, Jesus says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 32, but of that day and hour, no one knows—not even the not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when this time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming—in the evening, at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your glorious promise. The promise, Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus will descend and he will come again. And every eye will see that. It will be the greatest display of heaven and creation And glory and honor and power that's ever been seen by any person, any creature. And so, Lord, we have your word, your promise. And so, Father, thank you that we get to preview it. We get to see it together as a church family. We get to spend time together. May you be given all the glory and the honor and the power in our hearts and in our minds. May you be glorified this morning as we study your word. We pray all these things now in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said... Amen. So here we start out, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be coming in great power and glory. Now keep in mind again that Jesus is still answering the questions from his private conversation that he was having with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They're sitting up on the Mount of Olives, and they're sitting across from the Temple Mount on the Mount of Olives, and they ask him the question, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign all these things will be fulfilled? So they're looking for the answer. They have two questions, but they're looking for answers about three coming events. First was, tell us when these things will be. That was the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and he told us all about that. And then he says, what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the presence? Well, he's telling us now what it's going to look like, his his presence when he's going to be there. And of the end of the age. We always need to keep in mind that in the context of what he was saying to those four disciples, they thought that everything was going to happen simultaneously. And he's explaining to them that it's going to happen over a great amount of time. So he says in verse 24, but in those days, in those days, after that tribulation. So you see, Jesus is laying out the order of events. Those days are tied to a specific event. The three and a half years of earth's final days, prior to Jesus' return. And he says, but in those days, and then he says, that tribulation. In other words, the great tribulation. There's lots of tribulations, but he's talking about that tribulation in a future tense. He says, immediately after that tribulation of those days. One writer put it this way, he says only as the tribulation ends and its judgments are exhausted will the Lord return to conquer his enemies and establish his earthly reign and rule. It's what's known as the thousand-year millennial reign. It's when Jesus Christ will come to earth, set up his kingdom, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years from the nation Israel. And he says, in those days after the tribulation, notice he says, the son will be darkened. It, it's going to go, basically to be, you know, the Greek is to, to be deprived of its light. Skotizo. And because the sun is darkened, guess what? The moon will not give its light because the moon reflects the light of the sun. Zechariah 14, verses 6 and 7, read this way. This is a, a prophecy of what Jesus is saying is he's also prophesying as well it says it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light the lights will diminish it shall be one day which is known to the Lord neither day nor night but in evening time it shall happen that it will be light now if you have an NIV version it, it kind of gives an, a, an interesting um, uh, translation of that same passage it's not up on the board but the NIV reads this way he says On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold nor frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. So the sun and the moon will be extinguished, but yet the Lord will come. And of course, we know that he brings the brightest possible light you could ever see. And when he comes in his glory, that means he brings his own light with him. After all, he's the creator. Remember, he set the stars and the moon and the sun in place. But he was always the light that would never go out. And notice next what happens. This is sort of like this It's a cosmic thing. This is like, you know, the best fireworks display. Unless you're on earth and you don't know Jesus and you're in the tribulation and you're seeing this. It says the stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. The word star is Greek is astar, where we get the word asteroid. And the stars of heaven will fall, literally fall out, in the sense of falling from their place. You see, God set these things in their place. Everything is placed exactly where he chose it to be. Our earth is placed precisely where it can support life. If it were placed in any other location, we would not be here. God has placed it, and he's, he's giving them a demonstration how He's in control. The lights go out. The stars fall. The heaven will fail, in other words. The heaven will fall. Hebrews 1.3, God holds all things in place by His power of His Word. He's going to show the world what it looks like when things start to unravel. You see, that's the thing. We're, everything is so, you know, you often hear it said, many people have said, especially during times of war, how precious life is. How it teeters just sort of on this thin thread. Life and death. And God is going to show everybody all at once how precious things are. How, how un you know, how perfectly and fine-tuned they are and how in perfect balance they are. And yet he's in control of all things. Now Jesus, obviously, we know, has great command of the Old Testament scriptures. The event he is describing, they come straight out of the writings of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, and Zephaniah. All these things that are coming out. Describing the day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Bringing about distress and anger and bitterness. People's hair literally falling out from the stress. Amos 8.9. Uh, I don't think we have that one. but It says, Amos 8.9 says, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. Nothing like that has ever happened before. Whoever, whatever people try to say about the Great Tribulation, no, it did not happen before because these things did not happen. Luke 21, 26 says what it's going to do to the hearts of men. Remember, there's going to be, like there are now, two types of people on the earth during the Great Tribulation. There's going to be the Great Tribulation saints who, who didn't get raptured, but came to realize, came to faith, during this time of tribulation. And then there'll be the uh, men and women who have decided to harden their hearts towards God. And they've given their allegiance to the Antichrist and they've taken the mark of the beast. But notice what's going to happen. It's going to be like, uh-oh, oh no, look what happens. Luke 21:26, Men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens Will be shaken. When it says men's hearts are failing, that means to expire, to die, or perhaps simply to faint. Either way, it's a bad thing from what you see. And from fear and expectation, in other words, dread and terror. When they realize that they've given their allegiance to the wrong one, they've made the wrong choice, it's going to cause dread and terror. All over the earth. What's left of the earth. Because during the great tribulation, you know, there's going to be a great decrease in population. And then verse 26, and it says, then, at the end of all this stuff, all these things happen, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. You see, that's the ultimate sign, isn't it? And it says they will see. They will, it's optimized. They'll be able to see with their eyes. Now if, if the satellites or some of the satellites are still working you know, our, our global communication system is working, uh, they will have been able to see during the Great Tribulation, for instance we'll see the two witnesses in Jerusalem and we'll see them being uh, killed and come back to life. They'll see all these things and perhaps if the satellites are working then you know, you, you, it says here though, everybody's going to see. I mean, everybody's looking up at the sky because the The sun and the moon have not not given their light. It's gone. So it's not a, a passive glance, like, oh, what was that? Oh, let me get back to what I'm doing. No, it's nothing like that. This is like a gaze, like wide open, eyes wide open. A remarkable sight. And unlike his first coming, where he was seen by only a few, you remember the baby in the manger, everyone will see this event. Notice Jesus uses the word son of man. Now, this is the very first time that Jesus connects his title directly to himself. Daniel 7.13 was the prophecy that used that that word Son of Man, where it comes from. In Daniel 7.13, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And so they will see the Son of Man coming in great Glory and great power in the clouds. Great power meaning strong and tense. I mean, you can imagine if all that stuff's happening, you know, this is not going to be something that you're going to doze through. It says glory. That word glory is, is a Greek word is doxa. Majesty, which belongs to Jesus. He will appear as the king of kings with all of his splendor and majesty with all the angels clothed by the father in all righteousness to set up the messianic kingdom. Matthew 24:30 says then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Luke 21:28 Now when these things begin to happen look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So again, we have two types of people in the tribulation. You have the tribulation saints. When they see these things begin to happen, it's getting ready to get really good. It's going to be terrifying for those that don't know Jesus. But you have a sign for the tribulation saints because God has not forgotten those he loves. And we said before, during the great tribulation, it will probably be the most massive and widespread um, Revival ever recorded in all of human history. Now, in Revelation 19, we see a little description Revelation 19, verses 11 through 14. John writes this He says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. You see, he's coming as a, as a roaring lion. He's coming to judge the nations. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So this is where you say, you know, that there are going to be animals in heaven, right? You have the right horses right there. One writer put it this way. He, he's coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So you need to picture the scene. The backdrop of heaven is pitch dark. Without any major light from the sun and moon. And then suddenly, as quickly as the flash of lightning, the most brilliant focus of light ever known to man appears. The Shekinah glory of God shines in the person of Jesus Christ as he appears to the world. The Son of Man is there in the clouds having returned in great power and glory just as he said he would. Verse 27, his first act, the first thing he does when he comes to set up his kingdom. It says he will then send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds. So he, he will send his angels out. He, you know, the first thing he does, and notice he will gather together his elect in one place. Where are they going to gather? Well, they're going to gather in Jerusalem because that's where he's going to be. Zechariah 14.4, he says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east and on the, and on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. From east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Amazing, because these guys, like they're sitting right now. He's telling them what's going to happen. He's, he's predicting you know, what's going to come together. And they would have possibly, probably known this scripture that described this, this coming of the Lord. Where he's actually, his feet will touch down on the mountain. So here he is. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. They're looking at the temple. He's telling them what's going to happen. He's, he, they're being reminded at that moment of Zechariah's prophecy. The fact that the very mountain that they're sitting on is going to be split in two. And it could create a new valley. And Jesus Christ will come. And he will gather his elect from the four winds. Now his elect uh, is, is, at that point in time, is Jewish and Gentile believers. Remember, the Bible says that the nation Israel will be fully regathered at this time. And he's going to gather them from the four winds, the four quarters of the heaven. That's how they would speak back then. You know, He came from the north, he came from the south, he came from the east. They're using those cardinal points of the compass to describe direction. And he says, from the furthest part of earth and the furthest part of heaven. Any of the Jews who are still dispersed in the world during the great tribulation, he will bring them forth. From the farthest bounds. In other words, not, it, it, it's, not, it's really speaking of the fact that he's going to gather everyone there. And there's not, nobody's going to be left out. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says it this way, Mark 13, 27, our verse that we're in right now. It describes the regathering of Israel from the nations to which they have been scattered throughout the world. They will see their Messiah and trust him and a nation will be created in holiness and glory. See, right now we have a regathered nation of Israel that's a, a Zionist movement. And there's prophetic reasons why the nation Israel has to be in place. And it's because so these things that can happen will happen. But here you're going to have the true spiritual Israel, the Israel that has repented and will bring glory to God. They will recognize their true Messiah. Wiersbe writes that there is a glorious future for Israel is stated by Paul in Romans 11. So if you're you're curious about that, uh, your homework assignment would be Romans 9 through 11. Romans 9 through 11 explains any confusion there might be about the church maybe replacing Jerusalem or Israel. Not true. God has a plan for his people and he will make it happen. So let's look at a few key points as we've moved on to where we are right now. A few key points. Uh, just to kind of keep us on track. You you may be thinking about those fireworks displays tonight. I hope when you go watch those fireworks, I hope you maybe bring to mind some of the things you've heard today. But notice, first of all, that God will be the one to make these astronomical events take place. Not man. You see, He's going to come in great power and glory. Yes, we live in the atomic age. Yes, we live in a time like no other generation prior to ours, prior to 19, the late uh, World War II anyway, where we actually have the ability, mankind has the ability, to destroy this world with nuclear weapons. But that's not how it's going to be. God is in charge. Philippians 2.10-11 through 11 says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It will be no mistake. Another key point is the fact that we've mentioned earlier, these events were prophesied by uh, Isaiah and Joel and others. Isaiah thirteen ten through 13 says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Those of you who like to look at the stars and the constellations, think about how it would be if all that was taken away. The sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine and I will punish the world for all its evil and the wicked for their iniquity and I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. You see, God has been long-suffering. He loves us. He does not desire that anybody should be destroyed. But there will come a time when he will, he will bring judgment to the earth. Uh, Joel 2, verses 30 and 31, it says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fires and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So these events will be put in motion by God himself. They were prophesied in the Old Testament. They also run parallel to Revelation 6 and answer the question from Matthew 24.3 and that question was what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age and so in Revelation 6 we see all the things that happen we also know that tribulation saints will have there you have uh, Revelation 6 we also know that tribulation saints will have definite signs to guide them Luke 21.25 he says, and there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on earth, distress of the nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves are roaring. Now his first, as we said, his first official act will be to gather his elect. And we asked the question about, well, you know, you, you can sometimes get into this discussion about what does he mean by the elect? Well, on the one hand, all people who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior were foreknown by God. You were elected. I mean, your salvation, if you're thinking your salvation was somehow your idea, the Bible says that you're clearly mistaken on that. And we wrestle with that. Our responsibility, God's sovereignty. And we always will until the day we stand before him. But we're talking about, in this case, his elect. They're all the believers who have come to faith during the Great Tribulation, both the Jew and the Gentile, who survived the persecution of the Antichrist. And they also include the 144,000 Jews who were actually protected by God during this Great Tribulation. Revelation 7 and 14. And so I I think it's, you know, we never have enough time to kind of cover this broad subject in one 40-minute sermon. And I would encourage you to If you'd like to study prophecy with us, we still, you know, like Miss Heidi was saying, we'll be glad to order the books because we're going to continue to go through over the next uh, several months uh, prophecy, especially the things that we're touching on today. But along with all believers from every age, you know, he gathers from everywhere now. Everybody's going to come together. You know, it's, it's, we get together and we get to come to church on Sunday, but there's always somebody traveling and there's always somebody gone. And there are days when I wish personally, and I know you guys do, man, can't, can't everybody just be here at the same time? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, it's going to be like that someday because all the, the uh, tribulation saints and all the elect will be gathered, but also all the believers from every single age Your Old Testament saints, the church who has been raptured, the bride of Christ. And now we're all going to enter into this millennial reign with Jesus for a thousand years and then on into eternity. And that's why prophecy can be so encouraging for you and I if you're a believer. So having told them this, now he moves on to a couple of parables. In verse 28, he says, now learn this. In other words, he's going to give them another sign. He says, now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So, again, a parable is, you know, it's called parabolic teaching, if you will. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he says, to learn, you know, increase your knowledge and apply its truth. When Jesus tells us to learn and and to come into a a fuller understanding of him, that's not just knowledge, but it's also application of that knowledge. Applying the truth. Now we see a fig tree. He uses a fig tree again. We've already seen Jesus use the fig tree as an illustration in chapter 11 of the nation Israel. Representing uh, a tree with dense foliage but no fruit. They would be cursed. You know, He cursed the fig tree. Because the nation Israel rejected their Messiah and then they crucified him. But he's saying, he's using it here in another teaching scenario. And he's like, when you see the branch of this fig tree has already become tender. It's an indication of where you are in the growing season. And he says, in this case, you know that summer is near. We're right in the middle of summer now, isn't it? How do we get here? I mean, time flies. You ever find yourself asking that question? but the course of nature. Now, he's saying, you know. The you that he's, he's using, he's using like a, a second tense. It doesn't refer to the disciples that are sitting before him that he's telling these, giving these answers to. It's known as uh, prophecy or second person prophecy. And he's saying as if the Lord was speaking directly to the future generation who will be alive during the tribulation. And he says so in verse twenty nine, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Remember, we said that the tribulation saints, the people living in the tribulation, unlike us, we 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 know that the next prophetic thing to take place in God's history and God's timetable is the rapture, and we have absolutely no idea when that's gonna happen. Nobody's gonna if you ever hear me coming here and trying to set a date. Um, then you need to set a date to find another church, okay? Uh, And probably the very next week, because uh, we're not going to ever set a date as to when the rapture is going to happen. But he says, if you're living in that time, if you're living during the time of the Great Tribulation, there will be plenty of signs along the way to guide you. And, you know, if you're a believer at that time, those are encouraging things. You're going to still see Bibles. You know, you may get in trouble. You may get your head chopped off for being caught with a Bible or refusing, of course, to take the mark of the beast. But you will be given signs. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's what it's going to be like for the time of the tribulation. And he says, this generation will by no means pass away. Now, that verse gets used all the time now. It's a big discussion in the church and has been for the several hundred years for a long time because we don't, we, we think, okay, well, the nation Israel was started, uh, re- reborn in 1948. And so shouldn't a generation possibly be us? And yes, there is a great possibility it could be our generation, but that's not, we can't be dogmatic about that. We have to be very careful with that. So this generation refers to the generation entering the tribulation period which would be the same generation that will see the return of christ because the tribulation period is seven years and he says that generation who enters the tribulation will by no means uh, pass away till all these things take place you see god has a plan when things are going to happen And he he, he compares it. He says in verse 31, Look, heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words by no means will pass away. Will by no means pass away. Uh, Peter, when we were studying through 2 Peter, uh, it's it's a true fact that all of heaven and all of earth as we see it now will be rolled up. and, And we'll read it for ourselves in 2 Peter 3 verses 10 through 13. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, and the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And again, in the book of Revelation, we talk about the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. After the thousand-year reign, after the final great white throne judgment, and Satan is locked away forever, everything's going to be burned up, as as you know it. But Jesus says, but my words will no means, by no means, pass away. They shall not. Even the present world and all of creation will not continue. But Jesus' words will never pass away. Jesus' words, God's words, are permanent and they cannot be broken. They cannot fail. Isn't that nice to know? All the words that you hear, all the things that you hear, And the word of God cannot fail. Even if I know that this world the way it is, is is not going to be there someday, I want to be with the one who cannot fail. I want to be with the Lord. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, but take heed, watch and pray. Verse 32, he says, but that day and that hour no one knows. That day, the day of his second coming. Now, look, we need to understand what he's talking about is those that are in the tribulation, Those that are seeing these things, and yes, if they're reading a Bible, if they have access to a Bible, they know that there's going to be a period of time of seven years. But one thing they don't know is the exact time of day and the exact hour. He says, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father knows. In other words, you can't pick a time that Jesus is going to come. We know that he's coming, and, and if you're living in that time, you will see that. Notice, though, it says not the Son, but only the Father. Uh, again, we're reminded of Jesus' uh, human, you know, he's fully man, fully God. And while he was on earth, he took the restraints of human form, that's known as his humiliation, and he limited his knowledge, purposely limited his knowledge. And after his resurrection, of course, he resumed full knowledge. So while he was telling them, while he was talking, he's saying, look, I couldn't even give you the exact time of day and the exact hour that this is going to occur, but I can guarantee you it's going to happen. The Father knows. Only the Father, Acts 1, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, when they had come, now this is after Jesus was resurrected and he was standing before the uh, the disciples in uh in Jerusalem, he says. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" See, he had risen. He had defeated the grave. He had risen again. He had now appeared in the body, in, in, in the flesh, having previously died on a cross and been buried. He rose, and he said to them, "It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put on His own authority." So we, can be, we need to be very careful. We need to be mindful of our times and the seasons that we're in. But again, we, we learned last week, our Wednesday night, how we can get so wrapped up in prophecy that we forget to do the things God has called us to do. Namely, loving others and serving others and loving the Lord himself. There's an expression that says you're so heavenly minded that you're not earthly good. You know, I'm, I'm like a lot of guys that say, well, if you knew my mind, you'd know that it wasn't as heavenly minded as you may think. I could, I could certainly stand to be more heavenly minded, actually. But he says, take heed, verse 33, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Now, they're going to be living in a different time than we live in. Uh, we know that we're to watch and we're to take heed and we're to watch and pray. But we also know just how weak our physical bodies are. We know just how distracted we can be by the events of the world around us. And he's really telling these tribulation saints, look, you guys really need to be ready. These are words, I mean, if you're in this tribulation, again, you have these, but you really need to be paying attention because the things are really crazy. And the level of deception is so high because the Holy Spirit has been taken away with the church. And the level of deception is, and evil is going to be so high that you need to really take heed, watch, and pray. Now here in verse 34, he starts to use another illustrating parable and he's going to talk about a house sitter. Any house sitters here? Anybody that sits and watches house? I know a few that are here. They probably don't want me to point them out. A house sitters, you know, you're there. The owner of the house has given you uh, the keys to the door and the you know, access to the refrigerator, and you're required to take care of that house. And usually you know when the owner's coming back, so you can quickly get the place ready for him, right? <laughs> well, in this parable, he's saying, the owner is leaving and he's not giving you his exact return, but he is coming back. And he uses this parable, verse verse 34, It is like a man going into a far country who has left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work. He's commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So there was an expectation that his servants would be diligent and alert for what was coming. He says in verse 35, Watch therefore, for you don't know when the master of the house is coming. Again, the owner's uh, return date's not specified. He could come in the evening, he could come at midnight. He could come at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning. He could come at any of those times of day and, or night. It's not like only, he's only going to come at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and any other time I'm going to be safe. Nope, he could come any time. You know, whenever he gets off the highway, he's pulling into his driveway, expecting that house to be pristine. And he says, be ready. He says, watch, therefore, lest you Coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. Now, here's where, you know, we've been saying a lot of this applies to the tribulation saints. It doesn't apply to the church. But now we're back to this application is for all of us. Because, um, you know, when he says, find you sleeping, God has put a work for each of us to do. Until he calls us home, whether your last day, and he knows when you're going to die. He knows when you were going to be born. He knows your last day on earth. He knows when he's going to call the church, whatever way, whenever you leave this body, this, this world. And God, in the meantime, he has a work for us to do. And we're in a difficult situation right now in our society because a lot of us are very frustrated at the direction of our country, and we should be. And we should stand up for what's right. And we should fight in a sense of standing up for, you know, claiming the rights that our our first, our, our, uh, our Constitution has. Because we do care about our children and our grandchildren. We do want them to have a hope that they can grow up in a free country where they can come to church like this. Where they can exercise the freedom that's been given to them. But a lot of times we get frustrated and we don't know what to do. Because we feel like we're overwhelmed with society and culture. We, I mean, I don't need to be the one to tell you that it's so easy for you and I, for our eyes and our ears to become so full and so clogged of information that we just, we just don't know what to do. And so there's a lot going on right now. Well, keep in mind that the Lord always has something for you and I to do. He always has a work for us to do telling others about Jesus, telling them about the kingdom that's coming, informing them of passages like this. It says, look, if you're not ready, he may come as a thief in the night. So we have something to do. We also have to be watchful and to be mindful, not to be spiritually dull. He says, "Uh, lest he coming suddenly he find you sleeping, in verse 36. What does he mean? That's the carnal indifference to spiritual things on the part of believers. We can, we can become very carnal as believers and we're just kind of indifferent. And it's also a sign of, of the times. It's a foreshadowing of the times when things are going to, people could care less about the things of God. And that's why he says, I say to you all, all, everyone, watch. You're on watch, each and every one of us. And so you should live your life with expectancy. You should live your life as though Jesus could return in any moment. And that's helpful because what, you know, it, 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 it maybe prevents you from saying, uh, for this season I'm going to dabble in this little carnal sin, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. I think I have some time. And God, after all, God is gracious. And so maybe uh, you know, this is a, a warning to all of us to be spiritually alert. Don't let yourself be lulled into to the lies of the enemy. We're coming through this end of this, hopefully, maybe the end, maybe the beginning of another, who knows, of this COVID season where people were becoming very, you know, for various reasons and legitimate reasons, health concerns, not coming to church. But unfortunately, what happened during this COVID thing when they shut down the churches, the suicide rate skyrocketed. Some of you know, you work and in, in, you serve maybe in law enforcement or you're a first responder You know the things that you see when you walk into that bedroom or living room. So we need to be watchful. We don't need to be asleep. But we need to remember something also too. And you've got to be careful because of what people will tend to tell you about watchfulness. Watchfulness has nothing to do with going to heaven. Do you realize that? It's purely a matter of pleasing Him. That's what we do. We live to please the Lord And hearing his loving commendation. When you come before the Lord. You know you realize that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And he wants to tell you. He's in a position where he's just waiting. Him and the Father. And confirmed with the Holy Spirit and by his word. He's waiting to tell you just how much he loves you. And forgives you. And wants to be a part of your life. Wants to be your life. So. So trying to be on you know, good behavior, yeah, that's, that's good. I'm not saying that's wrong, but don't think that if you are asleep or if you have you know, wandered off into a carnal way, if you're truly a child of God, this is not the time where people can try to say, you better be really good in the last days because Jesus is going to leave some of his church behind. That's not true. That is not true. There's no suggestion that when he returns, he's only going to take the super saints with him to heaven. We go to heaven because of his grace, not because of our faithfulness or good works, though he he looks to see that. We should be producing fruit. As we get ready to close today, I just want to say Uh, Let's just look at this passage in Daniel 7.14. Daniel 7.14 says, Then to him, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So the question for you today is: Do you know Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? I mean, it's just as simple as that. You would know, or do you doubt your salvation? Maybe you have wandered off into a carnal Christian lifestyle. Maybe you're lost and you're not certain about everything right now. Well, all you have to do is cry out to him, talk to him. You know, I'm not into this. um, I'm I'm not the type of pastor who's going to lead you in a prayer of salvation Uh, you just need to cry out to God wherever you are right now or when you have time and if you'd like to speak with me personally about that I would love to do it but it's not a formula that says oh I I spoke the prayer and now I'm saved no it's a true heart conviction and you will know you will cry out to him and he will receive you and your life will change so don't wait don't wait As we close in prayer, Father, we thank you once again for your word and all that you have brought forth to us, Lord. We know, Lord, that we, ha- we don't have a full understanding of everything. We oftentimes struggle with our walk, but we know that you're gracious and that you love us, Lord. We know that you care for us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And we know that you've given us your word so that we can be encouraged and so that we can encourage others. We know that you have laid your life down for us. We know that all hope comes from you. And so, Lord, we rest on this promise that you will someday come in great power and glory. And, Lord, those of us who have surrendered our lives to you, we will join you in such a great reunion as never has been seen. And so, Lord, we are so thankful. We're thankful, Lord, for the freedom that we have here in this country. And we we do celebrate our nation's independence nearly 250 years. And all the men and women whose blood was sacrificed. And the men of God who stood in conviction for freedom for all people. And as troubled as our past has been and as troubled as our nation is in right now, Lord, we know that righteousness exalts a nation. And so may we be examples for that. May we encourage others. So, Father, we just ask that you would go before us now. We've heard your word, and we want to now put it into action. Put it to good use. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your loving kindness. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.